This is a restless reaction. Well, restless podcast listeners, we are doing something you love. We are continuing to react to this TGC good faith debate on the subject of climate change. Pastor Michael, you know, people probably wonder, you know, oh, with these patrons, do they only do the things their patrons want? Are we, you know, are they are they bought and sold now? I can confirm to you, we are not bought at least yet, because if there was ever a thing our patrons were like, don't do it, it would be recording this part two. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's not just the patrons, by the way. Maybe everybody doesn't want us to do this. The first comment on uh, the YouTube video, I don't know if there's more than one comment, but it, there's at least one comment that was something like, well, you guys phoned it in on this one. And so <laughs> I don't I I can tell you to whoever that commenter is with deep love in my heart. We truly are not phoning it in. We literally we were literally trying our hardest. <laughs> For it to be something, but it, I, I grant. I want I, it to be more yeah. intriguing, more interesting. And I, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure we could have done a better job. Also, by the way, we usually do these when we usually record these. We're not right now, but usually when we record these, it's in the evening. I tend to wake up very early. I try to, to put in very long full days of both like church work and then doing you know, a, a lot of physical work on our farm or those sorts of things. And so I usually get to the end of the day, usually when we f- would start recording and I'm just, I'm just beat. Mm. And so I can sometimes get over that when we're just having a blast. And, <laughs> and then sometimes we uh, watch a TGC climate change debate and then a little bit That's less right easy for me to get over that natural uh, desire to go to bed. I knew it was, uh, I knew it was probably rough for people when I had a friend and fan of the show say, man, the best part was that part where you listed out the TGC articles that they had recently published. And I was like, oh boy, that was the highlight. So apparently... (laughs) What we should do this episode, instead of doing a follow-up, we should just do the, like, five trending TGC articles. Actually, let us know via messages if you would like us to ever um, do a show where we we just go check what's trending and see what's good, what's bad there. That might be... That uh, would be funny. To see what's trending, or we could, like, you take the top five and we do, like, a Russian roulette kind of deal. Yeah, and just yeah. Randomly, just one gets selected and we have to talk about it. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. But for now, let's, without further ado. <laughs> now for what nobody wants, let's we're get, back. <laughs> get into this segment, which is called the climate change perspective. So we last left off where, can the free market fix this? Now we're going to the climate change perspective. Okay. Well, I, I want to get Jake's response to that, but I want to add a second part to the question because you made a compelling case, Brian, about China. And, you know, we can do all the good in the world here, but you know, looking at the other side of the world, it's not changing anything. And in fact, in many ways, it's getting worse. So how would you respond to what he said and add the element that even if we do, is it, is it worth it when on the other side of the wor- world, it's not going very well? Yeah. Yeah. 
So one of so one danger certainly is that how do you create incentives that will keep the state from abusing its power? Because the state does have a unique capacity. Um, I there are plenty of ways for markets to be coercive as well in soft ways. So we've understood the greenhouse effect since the 19th century. Um, and the greenhouse effect is not a complicated kind of egghead science idea that only three people on the planet understand. Um, CO2 traps heat. As we pump more CO2 into the atmosphere, more heat is trapped, causing temperatures to rise. Um, and if you look back, a lot of the fears that were being seventies, we are now starting to see um, in the form of more wildfires, more um, not necessarily more hurricanes, but more intense hurricanes. Um, just think back, um, I think it was five years ago, we had Harvey Irma Maria hit boom, boom, boom. Um, and if we want to talk about dangers and damages to developing world of Middle East, South Asia, those are the places that are going to get hammered um, by this in a way that like in Nebraska, Nebraska might be a little bit more like Oklahoma or Texas in 40 to 50 years, which isn't great, but it's not a desert, which is what parts of the Middle East and Sub-Saharan Africa are looking at. And so what concerns me with leaving these things to commercial entities is that commercial entities are going to behave in a way that are incentivized to help them now. They're not necessarily going to be thinking about 30, 40 years down the road. And so I think what government can do is it can create a quote unquote artificial environment that tries to incentivize commercial entities to think about those things. Um, in the same way that my wife and I do this at home with our kids, we create a kind of artificial consequence um, when they do something wrong, because what we're seeing now is where this behavior will go in 20 years if it's not addressed. Um, problems develop over time, and I worry that the commercial incentives that most firms are given don't equip them to think necessitate. Um, is there some variance in computer models? Sure. Can we predict everything with perfect accuracy? No. Um, but I think the basics here are not that hard and they don't require a PhD or it's basic greenhouse effect dynamics um, and the rising temperatures that result from that and the consequences of rising temperatures, glaciers melting, drier vegetation, which leads to more wildfires. There's actually concern now on the East Coast about more wildfires, where their wildfire season, which traditionally has just been April, is now stretching out into June. Um, so the East won't get hit as hard as the West, just different landscapes, different climate, but people are worried about wildfires on the East Coast now, which was not something we were worried about. So I would say that the move here is to try and create um, laws that help firms have incentives to think long term. So as this all relates to China, um, China is a time bomb crisis that is worse than just about anywhere else in the world because of that one child policy. Um, so they're going to have major questions to deal with there. And as far as cities vulnerable to sea level rise, China is way worse off than we are. Um, I, as I was prepping for this, I pulled up a map that just showed major global cities that are especially at risk due to rising sea levels. And it's basically the southeast coast of China. I don't think the fact that other parties are 
not doing something necessary exonerates us from the need to do it. Um, I also think this is where um, I'd actually, we, we should talk more, uh, Roger Scruton, an English conservative, um, has written extensively about environmental issues. And Scruton will make arguments about how um, environmental protection is about protecting social ecology. Um, and so I think if we're, if we're approaching climate change right, um, we are restoring a lot of things that have been lost that are part of human existence, that are part of the good life, um, enjoy, being able to enjoy um, healthy landscapes as you were describing in Florida. So I think a lot of this work can just be delightful um, if it is designed properly and not in just a like mandated top-down regulatory way, but in a convivial way that is trying to recognize the roles that all these different um, social bodies that make up a polity can play. So Brian, he acknowledged bringing the up, and predicting the Bringing up Roger Scruton, just like you, Matt. So Jake oh. Meter brings up Roger Scruton, just like you did in the last portion of the debate that we did. Uh, so that was interesting. That's right. That was great. Look, he's just, we were ahead. We were ahead of the curve on this one, bringing up Roger Scruton. Although we had the benefit of being able to pause those that we're talking about. <laughs> and right. obviously they can't do that in there. Um, Man, I don't even, I just don't even know where to start with this stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. But here's, here's one of the, the main things that I would start with is we're trying to discuss on the set of Between Two Ferns for TGC, yep. what like the, these different global governments should do. And I just don't know how effective in any way that can be, even if the worst case scenarios are true. Also, right. by the way, let's say that um, because of CO2 levels, the temp global temperature is rising. And doesn't that mean that at some point um, we're going to get to find out if those mountains on Antarctica are actually pyramids? <laughs> Isn't that, <laughs> is it, that sounds kind of cool to me, you know? Right. I mean, there's some, I'm just saying it's not all negative. There are some right. benefits involved in all of this. Um, shipping routes through the Arctic and, and whatnot. Um, I mean, it just, there's so many different pieces that it just, you just can't tell. I mean, he said, Hey, maybe we don't predict things exactly right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've had, we've had a, uh, a horrible history of being able to accurately predict things. Think about this as Christians, right? As, as mostly Christians who listen to this podcast, um, think about how many people have predicted that Christ was about to return. <laughs> Right. And or the end of the world was was at hand. And think about how often they were wrong and not just like a little bit wrong, but just like so obviously wrong from a distance. A lot of times, a lot of the, the concerns about climate change sound like that. They sound apocalyptic, right, where at any moment everything could come to an end. Um, and that just doesn't seem to be the case. That doesn't mean, by the way, that there's not some kind of effect that we're having. But I just want to keep going back to the importance of personal responsibility in all of this, right? We're not going to have a incentives that are given to, I, I shouldn't say that. I think there is a role that the government can play. I think there are things that the government could do, um, that the state could do. But on a general level, if we as a populace are people that just have an endless appetite to consume things 
that are created in really, uh, you know, uh, in ways that pollute greatly in different, you know, in, in different things, um, then I, I guess I don't know what's really going to change. I mean, we're going right. to drive as long as that demand is there. Um, it somebody's going to try to fill it. Right. Yes, I agree. I think the only thing I'll point out, um, uh, I've edited this out, but just so everyone knows, I was fixing our internet while we were uh, while we were watching that clip. Pastor Michael, how are we doing internet? It seems great. It seems great. actually like I like it's all on now. Yeah, I don't know what you did, but so, um, but which is great news because it, it means we're going to have the we're going to have high quality video for the rest of this reaction. Um, again, he, um, Jake, I, I think he's a doctor. I don't know. He seems like a casual guy. Uh, doesn't probably wouldn't mind me calling him that. I don't think he's a doctor. He says, I don't think it's he such has, a simple thing. I don't think he has a PhD at all. I'm actually currently reading a book, oh, okay. um, Protestant social teaching. And Jake meter does the final chapter on, uh, environmentalism or something like that. Yeah. Environmental well, care. He, he, right. He, he makes this claim that this is all really simple and that we shouldn't complicate things and that we, and then he explains, I don't know. It seems convoluted and complicated to me. It's right. And it also at no point seems very Christian. And that's not, and that's not me saying that we don't, Christians don't need to care about externalities or consequences. But I'm just saying, like, reciting data, explaining the greenhouse effect, none of that has any, you know, is not a, is not a uniquely Christian thing. Now, I do think, Pastor Michael, I have a hypothesis here about TGC. Um, and I, again, I'm, I'm, I don't want to impugn the motives or, or try and mind read any of these people. But just I do a little. Really think, <laughs> just maybe but a little. And if I, and please, if I sound like I'm purely doing that, you can go, everyone just discount to that degree. Again, I think one of the questions we have to ask is, are we talking about this issue? Are we trying to teach Christians to talk about this issue so they can look to their neighbors like they care about this issue, right? Mm. To buy some kind of credibility with neighbors, which isn't always a bad thing. Yep. But I think the problem is, uh, even uh, this last week, I believe unfairly, but Jake Meteor was attacked by Salon for his crazily conservative Christian horrible views. I mean, like, right, you know, as Jesus said, if this is what they're doing when the bark is green, like, you know, like, the, like he is not a, he, he is, he pushes against that kind of a persona, wants to be distanced from that. And, and, and the, it's earned him no goodwill. It's earned him no, it's earned him nothing. Um, and that, and that's not me saying he doesn't actually care about the environment and he's only doing this for, you know, clout or whatever. Um, but I'm just saying that if that's part of TGC's motivation, if that's part of what you think this could help us do, it will not help. It will not matter. Now, I do agree with you, Pastor Michael, that, in, that a one of the ways to talk about this in an actually Christian way is to tell Christians that 
God has made you to produce more than you consume, to better the world around you, which we could include the environment or topsoil, as we talked about last time, to better that. That, that like, you are here, you get to consume, that's a joy for you, but you are made to be fruitful. Yes. Instead of to be unfruitful. And the desire to consume, the desire to sloth, those are things that are a a sin issue. And therefore we can, we actually have a, a Christian mindset we can, we can bring to it. And, and until, as Pastor Michael was saying, until that mindset, until that sin, until that selfishness we have within us is changed, of course, what we're, we're not going to get this, no matter what kind of carbon tax we have. Because the largest corporations and people who can afford to will pay their way around it, yep. and they will um, they will say they're planting trees as an offset. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, one more thing I want to bring up that he mentioned was uh, this idea of trying to incentivize um, those companies, corporations, things like that to think more long term. And I actually mm. think this is a huge problem: is that um, we have a really short time preference. That as modern, you know, people in the West, especially um, our time preference, our, our ability to think long term and about the consequences long term of our actions is very poor. And mm. this is true on an individual level as well as then on a on a more collected level. Uh, this is true politically. Obviously, we talk often about, you know, the the issues of of those in power. I was just listening to a podcast the other day about this wasn't even about US politics, but it was about um, some some other country where somebody was talking to a lawmaker. And, uh, you know, some some potential bill came up. And the person said, Well, I can't act on that, because then I won't get reelected. But everybody knew it's what needed to happen. And so it, it just like the politicians would just keep kicking the can down the road because they knew they had to do something about a major problem. But in order to do that in the short term, it would probably cost them an election, in which case they would say, well, I I can't do it. I need to build up my electoral base. And then maybe down the road, I'll actually do something. Of course, nobody actually then does anything. And this is true all over the place. And this is why I say taking personal responsibility is so key, because you need to be the kind of person that when you're walking down the street, you're not just going to every time, I'm not saying it's, you know, your moral obligation to pick up every piece of trash, but you should be the kind of person that says, Hey, I'm going to pick up the trash today. Hey, I'm going to just, Hey, I'm, I'm right by a garbage can. And there's this piece of garbage on the street. I'm just going to pick that up and put it, put it in the garbage can instead of saying, well, I'll just leave it for the next person. Because when we all do that and we all do then what's going to happen is we're going to have places that are covered in trash all over the place. Um, and like, and this is just an analogy for how we do this in a lot of different areas. And so um, I think that's actually key when we're talking about these issues of, of actual uh, environmental care, um, as opposed to these, you know, larger issues, I guess. All right. Let's watch a clip called is earth getting warmer future. And that was one of the main points you were trying to make and how, you know, how we can really know what's going on. But I am curious at at a basic level, do you agree with the greenhouse effect, the glaciers, the 
the premise that this world is getting warmer and that is going to present problems. I accept the premise that the climate is changing, and I certainly agree with the greenhouse effect. I think that the uh, the scientific debate at the highest levels is um, what portion of of the carbon output is 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 anthropogenic. So, is 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 it our portion of carbon emissions that is the proverbial straw, you know, on the camel's back that is going to lead to these cascading um, catastrophes? I think that's the question, and I think it is actually still debatable. Um, and so, I'm I, I'm not nearly as worried as Jake is about about the litany of, of catastrophes. Um, so I, I don't deny that at all. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And um, I, I, I didn't hear. Um, all right, Pastor Michael, we got to stop it here because I have to ask you. Do you agree with all of the uh, all of the the effects that are surely coming down the pike from the greenhouse effect and climate change and all of those things are are those all um real um effects and that we should just all agree on as tgc has taught us christians should all say these are all happening that's what i've learned so far i just don't even know where to begin answering that kind of a thing um i've heard i've seen some good information about um the the nature of how much co2 is put into the air um, from things like volcanic eruptions, that makes me skeptical that what we do um, in our manufacturing and things like that across the across the world is really having that big of an impact. Um, it would, I guess, it would shock me if we don't do anything, because sure. I think that I mean we're at the the size um, on the planet that it it like I think it's very possible that we do uh, have some kind of an effect. My guess is that it's not the kind of effect that actually um, maybe goes global. I even to think that uh, that uh, we're just putting all these things together, like well, CO two created anywhere and how it affects everyone everywhere. I'm just not even sure how that exactly mm -hmm. works out. But I'm not a I'm not a scientist in this area. Yep. I'm not I'm not an expert. So what do I know? Right? What what do I really know? Um, what I do know, I, I, what I don't know, no, but what I've been told, uh, even by scientists that are very concerned about this, uh, is that the earth has been much warmer than it is right now in the past. And so that makes me think, well, is it, I mean, yes, like sea levels rise. That's happened before. Um, sea levels go down. That's happened before. There's like, there is change over time in climates. There's change uh, in, in, uh, the amount of water that places get, and that causes people to move and it causes people to yeah. change, change how they live. It causes people to migrate places. And that has always been the case throughout all of human history. And so to, to put it in, in a way where you say, Hey, we're going to fix this problem. That gives me kind of tower of Babel vibes a little bit. Uh, mm. because it, it makes me think, I don't know that you actually have the power that you think you have over the weather. Mm. Yeah. I think what's interesting is because here is actually, here's the, the corner I think Christians feel um, and the cornering that I think TGC is trying to triangulate off actually is right. If you don't agree 
um, with, you know, with what we'll just call like what is kind of the mainstream beliefs about climate change. Um, and you don't want to go, you don't want to accept their solutions. The response um, that I think our debater here would get is, well, 99% of scientists basically agree on this. This is the scientific consensus of everything. And so what the cornering is, one, um, it makes you unreasonable. Um, two, Christians, um, I mean, I, I, like, it's a good thing to not want to be unreasonable, right? Like, I don't want to be an unreasonable person. That's not a, that's not a good character quality. Um, and, and Christians, because they have more sensitive consciences, generally know that. Um, two, we, I would guess a lot of Christians feel, hey, I already have to take a number of like non, what we might call, oh no, I just dropped a can of soda on the ground, so that was unfortunate, but <laughs> uh, I already have to take a number of, of these like bad views. Why add another one? And to that, I, I, I say like, again, this is why this is such a strange debate for TGC to have. There would be no reason to ever divide the church over your position on China's effect on the changing climates or increased uh, wildfires on the East coast of the United States insane that'd be insane that'd be unreasonable but i was actually because i was looking into this not this specific question i was just looking a little bit at twitter the other day and there was someone explaining they're like well actually the alternative hypothesis as to why there would be a 99 percent scientific consensus is actually really really simple money if the and it and i'm not even saying like people are like give me that money. I'm a bad person. I'm saying like, if the government says we have a hundred billion dollars of grants for climate change research and the impact humans have on it, that is going to produce a scientific consensus really quick. Yep. And it incentivize, by the way, it, so it incentivizes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It incentivizes it. And then if you, if you take a contrarian position, that view, which now has to go through peer review, has to be reviewed by people whose incentives are the exact opposite hmm. of that position. Yeah. Um, right. And again, to use another to use a non-climate, you know, another non-climate example. And uh, this is a little bit different thing, right? Like, you know, we have these testimonies about people uh, with talking about aliens and everyone's like, well, how do we explain this? I mean, at some point we just have to understand people lie <laughs> and people are willing to tell big humongous lies to lots of people, even under oath. Yeah. That's what? all like, what? I know. <laughs> I know. And Matt, I, and don't saying... say that to my innocent ears. I'm, I know. I thought and we I'm could not saying anything everybody. <laughs> and I'm not saying any I know I'm not saying anything unique or interesting. But what I'm saying is this is this is the actual difficulty and why saying I don't know is 
is a reasonable position. Why saying de- literally destroying civilization it like and feeling like maybe maybe the sidewalks melting narrative is because all of these things have human interaction the same humans who are so evil and bad that we're going to destroy ourselves through climate change are the same humans studying the problem saying here are the solutions we're sure will work right um so yeah i don't know we're not being reasonable i know that's that's basically the end of my answer is we lose because that's that's certainly not reasonable all right let's watch a little more of this and i'm gonna wipe up this soda Jake, really answer your question, your last question, which was, what are you going to do about China? And it sounded to me, Jake, like you were saying, well, they're really going to suffer too, so they're going to come to their senses or on burning coal, or they just... It it seems to me the intractable problem, if the goal is we're going to reduce global greenhouse emissions, if... You have a rogue, this is not just any old rogue state, right? This is one of the largest countries in the world, largest population is is profligate in burning carbon uh, 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 fuels, fossil fuels. Um, That seems to me a big problem for our solutions. And I think that um, you may be right that that doesn't absolve us, but at the same time, I wonder again about the just war thing. Okay. We're talking about uh, inflicting real, serious, known economic harm on ourselves for projected uncertain harms in the future. I think that's something that we need to think about. Um, how, 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 do we, how do we navigate that ethically? Um, we know we're going to harm our own economy and, and the developing world for something uncertain. And the China problem is just a real problem if the goal is global reduction. All right. Excellent point. This is an excellent point for two reasons. Um, In the face of uncertainty, harm reduction should be preferred. Right. If I'm hunting, uh, you know, the pro-life argument, right. If I'm if we're not sure if that's a human being or not obviously we should not kill it if i'm hunting and i hear something in the bushes and i think it's a deer but i'm not sure obviously i shouldn't fire the gun right i should not inflict harm when it's uncertain secondarily if all of these certain activities are what's causing harm if that's your theory and in places like china or other developing countries or wherever those things will continue unabated then the self-infliction of harm is literally just to make yourself feel better. Yeah. Because you feel yeah, bad that we've done these things. Mm-hmm. And now, yeah, it's, and it's just become a form of climate penitence. That's yep. a good, that's a good, uh, that's a good line, climate penitence. Um, but, but, so it's a good point. That's all, that's all I really have to say about what he was, yeah. the point he's making. Yeah. I, I'm going to go back to this incentives idea and, you know, not spend a lot of time on it, but if, the same people, it seems to me like the same people who are, who made the kinds of decisions that according to this narrative, like has gotten us into this problem, which I, again, you've heard me rant. I'm not, I don't think it's totally wrong. I think a lot of these 
corporations, I think our government in a lot of ways has been incredibly destructive and wasteful and harmful to the environment. I think that's true. I think that um, a lot of the foods that we eat are not too dissimilar from poisons. And we, I mean, we just, we have, there's so many problems, right? If just go start looking up the issues of the chemicals uh, in our water, in our waterways, um, just the amount of, for instance, things like birth control or, or, uh, you know, depression medications and things like that, that are, you, you urinate these chemicals out, they get into the water system. Um, just the kinds of damage that those sorts of things are causing is pretty significant, right? So there's, I mean, there are so many problems that I think are horrible, environmentally speaking. And, and yet the same people and uh, people of influence and power that have helped get us here are the people that we're going to be relying upon to get us out if the focus right. is on we have to change these long-term policies that will, will, will change things down the road in 50 to 100 years. That I just have trouble believing that that will do anything of value. Right. Except it will make us feel better. Except it will, it will make, make us, us feel better. Of, of fossil fuels. Well, I did. So, so this connects with your example of those in the developing country suffering for our sins. Interesting. He doesn't let him talk just made the right case. away. The cost yeah. to us is great and them with an uncertain outcome. How does that land on you? Yeah. So just to circle back to China, because what I was trying to say, perhaps didn't get it across well, they're not going to be able to keep doing that forever. Um, was part of the response. Why, why is that? Um, because they have a demographic crisis on their hands. They're an old... So they won't have enough people to work in coal mines? or I, um... Um, Their economy is not going to be able to continue to work the way it is now, 30 to 40 years from now, due to a lack of workers. But that's yeah. too late, by your own admission. Um, right? I mean, you've, you've mentioned a whole bunch of things that are well, 2050, the next 20, 30 years. So there's a, a book congratulations this is the most debatey we've gotten so let's yeah. let's play through for he's a second. pushing into it yep i wonder if jim's getting a little uncomfortable i know three hands i think by noah Tolley. he was a wheaton prof for a number of years he's now at calvin um and not great <laughs> we need to become um more understanding of the fact that we're in a tragic circumstance uh, tragedy is just endemic to being human in a fallen world. Um, there are always possibilities that are unrealized. Um, and there's a certain tragedy in that. And there are trade-offs that are going to have to be made now where there are not easy, obviously perfect choices. Um, and so, I mean, even in talking about the developing world, um, where, where Brian goes is, well, what about economic development there? Um, and where my mind goes is, well, if you're living in Kuwait, um, it, their temperatures are getting up to 140 in the summers routinely, which it's always been hot, but it's not always been that hot. Um, those types of regions um, around the equator are going to get much hotter. They already are. Um, we're not talking about three degree increase centuries from now. We're talking about it sooner than that. And we've already seen 
I think we're at um, two degrees, if I recall correctly. Um, and so there's going to be changes to the landscape there that will affect their ability to develop in the same way that we have. Um, although the other piece that's worth keeping in mind here, um, if you look at something like the Paris Agreement, which was passed a few years ago, um, I read it recently, the whole thing, I was struck by how contextualized it was. It makes strong distinctions between what the UN is asking of developed countries versus what it's asking of developing countries. Um, so the, the major global agreement on climate change is actually not telling developing countries, you don't get X, Y, and Z. It is rather saying that as this is a global problem, we need to work on it together. Developed countries have to carry more of the weight because they have already gotten to a certain established level where they probably can absorb more of the body blow that some of these things are going to be for us. Um, developing countries, we're going to take a different approach because we do want them to be able to develop economically in certain ways, develop certain um, infrastructure, healthcare, et cetera. And so it's not, I mean, that's the Paris Agreement. This is not some fringe scientist somewhere that no one's listening to. So I, I don't think the, the choice being put to people is no Sub-Saharan Africa, no South Asia, no Southern South America, you can't have X, Y, and Z. Um, the issue is rather, we have to think differently about how we build as climate changes. This was something that was evident in Europe last summer. Um, a lot of Northern Europe's not made for that kind of heat. So they're going to have to retrofit a lot of buildings in the near future. And probably a lot of people are gonna start buying air conditioning in the near future. Um, so we have to change the way we're building in certain ways. And we need to be thinking about how developed countries can do things to help developing countries while also recognizing um, the overall challenge that we're facing globally. Let me let me ask a question right there because we're talking. Okay. Uh, let me just say the Paris Accords is pretty much a fringe scientific thing that no one in the world is listening to. Like I, I um, on a practical level, but. Pastor Michael, I do want to come back. Why does he, you are so right. He does seem so uncomfortable in the answers he's giving. I don't mm -hmm. know what to do with or about that. Yeah, it might just be his demeanor. I mean, it may just be sure. what he's always like. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I have watched them, Jake Meter. And I've, and by the way, I've really liked a lot of stuff that I've, I've read from and, and learned from from uh jake so i'm you know I, I didn't mean to say that in a way to like attack him i just he no. seems uncomfortable and unsure yeah. of himself and what's it may just be because you're trying to like talk about global policy issues on the basis of really in-depth scientific studies about specific points of how many degrees the the environment is going to get hotter in the next 20 to 30 years that's this is just such a uh big distant thing i don't know it's it's so hard to to begin to actually take that and say well what about all i mean isn't there other data that could come into that isn't there other other you know um options as far as what we're doing uh, and so he's both talking about something that is just massive and super abstract while at the same time trying to talk about it as if it's just a pretty clear, obvious, simple way forward for us. Right. But there's nothing simple about it. 
right. Right. The it moment is- that you start talking about the UN climate change agreement, dude, there's nothing simple about that. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. This this is when I was listening to him, and it could be what he's feeling. This this environment, just looking at it, is the most pseudo intellectual like thing that like is imaginable. Like, you know, they've put him in this position where he has to be like, be the be an expert on this issue, and you know, and. Pastor Jim here is going to be, is a, has to act. And again, not, I don't know what he knows or doesn't know. He has to act like he knows and can like enter into this conversation on a substantial level with experts um, discussing UN policy and its effect on the swamps of Florida. Um, I think the other thing, but the thing I want to be, I want to notice, um, even in Jake's answer at the beginning, uh, we got the de- most debatey part, which is by far my favorite part. Yep. When when he starts asking about, well, China, asking about China, and Jake kind of hems and haws and goes, Well, you know, they're in a they're in a demographic collapse, and so they're not gonna be doing what they're doing much longer. What it sounds like to me is you're saying. There is in China within the next few decades going to be a humanitarian crisis of everyone being old and dying and no one there to work or care for them. And it also sounds like you're saying, and that might help solve climate change. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. Well, but that's the way this goes, right? It does go that direction, right? People are inherently bad for the environment. We've said that. Um, that that is a common kind of environmentalist trope. Uh, and that if it it is, I think it is true, by the way, that people are destructive of the environment, that people can be because we were made to have dominion over the rest of the creatures, the rest of creation as as the, you know, uh, as the rulers of creation. Um, our sin affects more than just us. It affects creation itself. Right. That is just an objective fact of history. Um, and so, again, that takes me to the need for actual personal responsibility. Uh, it comes back to actually people need to get right with the Lord. Right. That sounds silly, right? It sounds like, well, that's not really, you're not really talking about the climate. I kind of am. I mean, I kind of am talking about the climate because creation itself was made by the same God who made you. And so if you're not submitting to him, you're going to be, on average anyway, more destructive, I think, to to the environment itself. But yeah, what you point out actually is interesting because um, you are, when you're talking about global things, sitting between two ferns and talking about, you know, these global realities of the next hundred years, um, you're choosing. You're you're kind of just armchair choosing. Well, I which humanitarian crisis do we prefer? Right. I guess we like they have that demographic issue. Um, what if the UN did a? What if the UN started uh, to get people together to start uh, really heavily pushing the idea of doing less abortion, less birth control, and start everybody start having a lot more babies? It seems like that would be an answer. 
if if this is how we deal with climate change, right? It seems to me like the demographic issues, which by the way are not just in China, although it's particularly bad in China. This is true across most of the world, except for yep. certain areas, especially in Africa. But across most of the rest of the world, um, there are massive demographic issues. We have this in the U.S. This is coming to us too, though at a slower rate. Um, maybe, well, if this is how we deal with the problem, if the problem is dealt with by using the government uh, and global government systems to rightly incentivize corporations and others to do something that will change people's actions, then it seems to me like right. the natural consequence of that would be, well, then we also should be doing the demographic issue this way. Um, and I don't think anybody on the you know, environmentalist side of this debate will say that. Right. Now, I should add that, you know, he did say this is because of the fallen world. We're dealing with tragic solutions, right? He's not like half, yes. like he's not like he, he's not in the anti-humanist like. Mm -hmm. Which is actually, now, and that but, was actually a good line. I think that's a good, it's yep. a good point. But, um, but I, but again, I, I, I think unfortunately the logic becomes uh, inescapably and, 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 and bad, right? Whereas we should be caring if there's a country with a billion people and we're saying, I mean, they're going to burn out. They're going to, like their healthcare is going to collapse. They're going to start like if, I mean, these are the kinds of things we're talking about with a demographic collapse in China. Mm -hmm. Here, it, so it here's that like it would behoove us if, if that's the projection, again, it's a thing we're doing on a projection, which is always yep. is the same kind of danger, but it would seem that we should care about that intensely but again, what you're saying, and then I'll let you go back to what you were going to say. The thing that you're saying that's so important is what would be better for Earth? The Chinese people burning out and experiencing this kind of systemic collapse or producing or there being lot or there being twice as many people in China, but they produce and are fruitful and care for twice as much as they consume. What will, what would long term care for the world? Yeah, I, I, and again, this that's is the why other your thing. answer isn't silly. When we are looking out uh, and doing these, just you know, since we're already doing wild projection, <laughs> right? Um, let me do a little wild projection. What are the chances that if instead of putting our efforts into um, these again global go global government systems that will work toward reducing CO2 emissions, or at least allow, like you said, large corporations and wealthy business owners and stuff to just pay extra money to those government systems in right. order to say, sorry, we did that, <laughs> you yep. know, and just get off with, with that. Uh, if we're just doing these wild projections, what about this? What if we put all that time and effort and resources instead into, um, filling the world with more people. So we work on the demographic issue. We start to like really incentivize having more children. What are the chances that one of those children at some point develops a technology that allows all of us to use nearly endless energy with very little emissions? Hmm. It's not, right. it, I don't think it's zero. Right. I don't think that, that there's a 0% chance of that kind of thing happening. Um, it Like this kind of thing 
has happened before. The very the very fact that we've started to use different forms of energy because people invented ways that we could that drastically improved other people's lives, right? And have improved the lives of, of people all around the world. Um, this was one of the points of the other guy as he, you know, says, look, we like we don't want to take some of these advantages away from the third world, right? Just like while they're developing, we shouldn't just take away these things that will will help them significantly. Hey, what if there's somebody out there um, that uh, if we fill the world with people is going to be the kind of person that can invent something like that? I, right. Again, it's what it's it's projection, it's speculation. Yep. But if that's what we're doing anyway, right? My, I guess my money's on that more right. so it, than than the other direction. It, it I agree. You're my money's on people. Yeah. Right. Like what what I think is important is people are like, well, that is purely speculative, but it it is what Pastor Michael doing is purely speculative. But just because you use sciencey terms in the other direction doesn't make it any less speculative. Right now, there are two speculative futures we have. And one, again, the problem. Do you want is- more people and unlimited energy or do you want collapse of economies and right. <laughs> and less people? <laughs> and again, of course, why would you not? Again, when we're talking about incentives, why would we not? have to look at the problematic incentive structure of giant corporations and governments working together to create regulations on the environment that the corporations are basically continuing to do whatever they're going to do. And then they're going to enrich governments and politicians that are in desperate need of money. How would that not be an incentive structure that you went, "Uh Oh, that could, I could see how that could go wrong in one day. But, but yeah, I also think it would be very interesting. I wish we knew someone who was more of an expert on the demographic changes in the uh, coming to the world, because yeah. I do think the way we view evangelism worldwide and church planning, yes. I think we are going to need to take those things into consideration. This is massive. Hey, let's do let's do a, a like a Patreon episode or something talking about this because I just want to talk about it with you because I'm just right. I've been thinking about this all the time. Let's let's finish this as quick as we can and then record that because I think it is a fascinating thing. Thinking about the earth warming. A lot of people would earth. say we don't have the history. I mean, the earth's temperature rises and falls. It's been, we know it's been much colder than it is and it's been much warmer than it is. We don't have the history to know if this is how much we're contributing to it. And then on the hurricane front, my our city got hit last week by a hurricane. But uh but there are those who would say we don't have enough history to know if if they're really more intense and yes they're more expensive just because more people live there how do you how do you respond to that we have been putting more co2 into the air for 200 plus years um and we know what that does so are there other things that might be driving it on marginal on the margins sure i would grant that but i think we know what co2 does and we know that we're putting a lot of it into the air. So it seems reasonable to me to think that a large part of the problems we're seeing um, as temperatures rise and all, as all these knockdown effects happen, when you have drier vegetation and more fires and warmer water and more intense hurricanes, I don't think it's a great stretch that requires computer models to prove to suggest that we would be influencing those things. And so certainly I'm concerned about 
developing world being able to continue to develop, I'm also concerned about many of these countries being deserts in the not that distant future, um, where the people are just going to become climate refugees. We've already seen some of this um, in those parts of the world, actually. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my, I, I think there's trade-offs here, as you said, but I think the trade-offs run in a lot of different directions. So at the end of your argument- Okay, so all he said was, what if the things you're projecting aren't true? And he said, well, listen to me give you these projections again. That was that was the that was the is, right. So watch the there's there is a little bit. I'm I'm not saying he's trying to be sneaky about this or anything, but there's a little bit of a sleight of hand because he says, "Look, we know what CO2 does. Well, what you've said it does is that it traps heat, so it warms things. But now you're implying that that also then means all these weather systems change and all of that. That we know right. for a fact there's a one to one correlation between those. There, but yeah. there is a jump there. There's a jump between those things." Right that you may not be able to say actually is in fact the case. And that there aren't a million other factors to consider, like is there a top limit of heat that CO2 will trap? Yeah. Like there's like, there's like a, there's, yeah. Yeah. There's it's questions. just, again, it, yeah. Yeah. Which, um, yeah. All right. You made the point that free markets create more care creation, not less. Right. Is there any, and, and you, you alluded to the fact that maybe there's some more some places we could double click there. Would you yeah, want to sure. pull on I, that string? I, I, yeah, that's a, I'm glad that, glad that you asked. Let's that, double it click. It is related to a lot of what, what Jake was just uh, saying. Um, Jake, think, Jake, you seem to think that um, your free markets aren't enough. They're not doing enough. Um, so they, you know, we need we need law and regulation to nudge maybe uh, industry in in the right directions. Uh, I think you're, uh, from my perspective, you you're taking far too dim a view of the dynamism and and pro and, and ingenuity of of markets. So just in the last decade, uh, private industry has invented a way of of um, reducing carbon emissions for energy by 50% over coal, 50%. Now, no one told them to do this. The government, no, there was no regulation that said, hey, big oil companies and oil drillers, you guys need to do this. This was industry on its own, invents a way to cut carbon emissions by 50% over coal by way of directional drilling and hydraulic fracturing for natural gas. And uh, so 50% over coal is going the right direction. Um, were they cheered? Were they, was there a big celebration? Was there a parade in New York City while private industry, were they thanked? Uh, no, actually what happened was they have been opposed and had nothing but roadblocks from start to finish, from permitting to extraction to transportation to refining and to export. Um, they're, they're facing barriers. Um, and yet that's an example of, of industry actually, without a nudge, doing something that is going the right direction. I mean, clearly the right direction. Um, the, the, the actual geographic footprint now of oil and gas drilling has been, has been exponentially um, improved because of directional drilling, for example. So I think that uh, we, we should look at the full picture. I think that actually industry... Uh, is interested in in more environmentally responsible ways of extracting energy, so that's one way. But the reason I say that markets, and I and I said and all that they entail, that meant private property, risk and incentives, and so forth. 
provides more creation care is because the countries on the earth historically that have the worst environmental records of all are the ones that are totally regulated. Oh, man. As in the state owns it. <laughs> they own the means of production and they regulate it. You know, here's the problem. This is that. the death when, knell, isn't when it? When a person doesn't own something, when no... This is the death knell to this whole conversation, isn't it? As we consider this. Because whether or not this is the, the right case, the, what have the two debaters earlier agreed on is one of the biggest obstacles to effective climate change mitigation. The actions of a certain country, China. What country has near total um, uh, control over its economy and what it does? China, right? Like the, the, I mean, I just think like on a, like a, on a practical level, it's the, it's the end of it's it truly it feels like it's just the end of this conversation um let alone you know is you know i don't know how interested our audience is in fracking regulation (laughs) what what there is how much they care about fracking but obviously that was another part of the answer um the only other thing i'll say is when we get into these environmental conversations it's also very interesting to me when we you know, Pastor Michael was like, what if we could find this kind of clean energy to reduce energy use so much? I, that is an interesting question. But you're asking that question at a time where the United States is shutting down its nuclear plants, which is like. If if all we care about is carbon emissions, it is the like. It is the solution hmm. to that problem. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not so I'm not sure what I think personally about nuclear plants because I don't know anything about them. But right. but it does bring up an interesting part again of this conversation is the incentives. How much of even just this conversation is driven not by the incentives of wanting quote unquote clean energy, but with the incentive of, hey, there's companies that want all of the business that they possibly can to move toward their wind turbines or their yes. solar uh, solar power units or whatever. And there's going to be a, a, you know, a clear incentive for them to try to push politicians to push in this direction, to push a Paris climate accord, whatever. Like they, they want to move policy in a direction that will benefit them. It just muddies the water again, right? Why was it that nuclear power um, was, you know, for a long time, it was just panned as not a good option. Um, it's there may be legitimate reasons. I think there probably right. could yes. be. Um, yep. I have concerns just because of you know growing up with, with uh, you know just movies about nuclear waste and nuclear. You know, I just I don't know what to think about this stuff. But I also know for a fact that companies like oil companies actively sought to convince people that this was a bad idea. Why? Because they were incentivized because they want to make the money. <laughs> so, right. so right. there's just so many, there's so many things like that, that just makes this a conversation that's so, so fraught from the very beginning. 
Right. Which is why, it's, by the way, your point before that, like, hey, you shouldn't divide over this yes. is, I think, right. Like, if you start saying, well, I can't be friends with somebody who doesn't agree with me on the level of CO2 emissions and how much right. that affects things. I just don't, I think that people are getting too crazy over this topic. And that may actually be one of the most important things that we say during this mm. whole debate. That actually, this is one of those areas that um, you can actually be in a church with somebody that has very different views on environmentalism. And if you can't, there's something wrong with you, not the environment. Yes. Right. That, that, <laughs> um, all right, let's keep watching this. I do think it is weird that all the people who want carbon neutral things don't, they're not trying to change our minds about nuclear. Obviously they don't care about fracking. Right. It's weird that also, they're just pushing that under this. They're just pushing into particular kinds of energy that they weirdly own all of <laughs> right um it's just interesting that the un has a note here and is it defines climate change climate change refers to long-term shifts in temperatures and weather patterns mainly caused by human activities especially the burning of fossil fuels right it, again it's like there's a that's what you are just that's where you have to start from just interesting that this video uh, got noted nobody in particular owns something a piece of property uh, minerals whatever it is if no one in particular owns it that means nobody owns it and no one takes responsibility for it and i think that um the the free enterprise system that we've had that has been developed and jake you might be right about the history of christians and economics that this is fairly novel i agree I think it comes out of the Protestant Reformation and in a renewed interest in individualism. Um, it, uh, I think that that system actually improves creation care because somebody in particular, somebody with skin in the game, somebody who is, is on location, somebody who knows the factors of what's going on in terms of the use of these resources is actually responsible for it. So that's why I think, um, I think that, that I, I think Jake is, is not as uh, optimistic about markets as I am, but I, I am optimistic. I think that it produces more care for creation when there's actual people with skin in the game who are responsible for it. And I think that they do respond. I just gave an example of industry responding in a positive way on these issues. So that's just your argument for localism, right? Brought back the people who are there, who actually know, who actually care, are the people best suited and most likely to actually try and do something beneficial. So th that is a compelling case for free market. So he, he combined that with the 30 something thousand pages on the register. And he's, he's making the case that we're doing more than, you know, certainly more than countries whose state controls the markets. How does that, how do you respond to that? I'm not arguing for countries controlling markets. Um, you're, you're correct. The Soviet Union and communist bloc was disastrous ecologically. Um, biggest nuclear disaster in the world happened under their watch. And lots of other really bad things happened under their watch. I'm not arguing um, for centralized planned economies. I'm not arguing for the abolition of private property. Um, what I'm trying to argue for is the idea that um, the economy exists for people, not people for the economy. And so there will be times. Quick pause here. Um, 
Pastor Michael, what does that mean? The economy exists for people, not people for the economy. I think I think there's a legitimate point there um, in that, okay. especially in uh, our day, modern America, we do live under a kind of corporatism where policies sure. are put in place to benefit what is called the free market, called you know capitalism, those sorts of things. But what it really means is usually large multinational corporations that don't have a particular stake in a particular place of a particular people in a local region, right? It's not like a family-owned business or something like that. Um, it's stakeholders that are far from there. And what, they're, what they want is just liquid cash. They want money. They want their stock price to go hmm. up. They want those sorts of things um, rather than a more kind of full-orbed good for those that they are uh, bringing some benefit to. And so I think in that way, I think that that makes sense um, that, you know, the, the economy as a, as a thing um, is for the people that are a part of it um, rather than just maybe certain market makers or something like that. Sure. Yes, I agree. I think if that's what we're talking about, right, this is, this is my earlier point that the 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 pure freedom of people doing what they want is not an outcome producer right because the people have to take actions right so there's an it, it is you know we think about there are things that are ends in themselves and in that way it's it's not just a a pure end in itself mm -hmm. where what is good for a firm for perhaps the business owner or the board um, is not actually what is good for the broader polity, be that a state or a nation, um, partly because it's not what is good for the land on which that polity lives. And so in those situations, it is right and good for people to come together through various means to try and provide incentives um, to help the firm have a broader scope for its work. Um, to think more broadly about what it's doing in the world. Um, and certainly, I think a lot, we can point to successes um, in commerce. I, I do think there are risks. I mean, I don't live too far from, I guess you don't either, from where a lot of the fracking has been happening. There are, there are risks to water quality. We had many protests over the Keystone XL pipeline in Nebraska, um, actually led by a lot of farmers who were concerned about an oil pipeline running over their land. Um, so even there, I think, yes, it's, it's a win on carbon emissions. Um, we do need to also be mindful of other risks that are associated with that method. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think we, we, if the environmental side becomes stridently insistent on only like wind, solar, and hydro are the only kinds of power we'll, we'll allow, I don't think that's going to be workable. Um, again, it's a question of thinking about trade-offs. Um, so I, I'm grateful for and want to celebrate the ways that commerce has been able to do good things in this area. Um, but again, I think this is a collective project that, use Kuiper's term, all the different spheres um, within society have a role to play. And I think government's role to play is more than just stay out of the way. Yeah, if I may, that, that's that's well said. I agree with a lot of what you said. But you, you keep using the the term when you talk about uh, the state has a role to play. It is it is uh, to to help 
cultivate, to, to you know, we're, we're all in this together kind of thing. No, these are, there's real decision makers. There's real, there's real coercive power involved. And you say, you know, I'm not arguing for centrally planned economy, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you a confession, okay? Um, so Edmund Burke in, in his famous uh, oration on the, on the, to the uh, House of Commons, March of 1775, arguing with his Englishmen, what are we going to do about these Americans? And he starts describing Americans, and he, and he says this. He says, Americans augur, Americans predict, Americans augur misgovernment at a distance. They snuff the approach of tyranny in every tainted breeze. I confess, I am one of those Americans. Okay. <laughs> So when I hear things like the government's going to help, the government's going to shape, the government's going to form, thinking, no, this is a, that's a coercive institution. Um, it's, it, they're not just helping. The government does not offer to help. When, they, when the EPA makes a, a recommendation, they're not saying this is a suggestion. This, it's, it's compulsive. And so as that, as that hot-blooded American, I, I sniff on the wind. Uh, that little bit of tyranny, because here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that the end result of where you're going here is that we might end up with a cadre of experts who, in the words of C.S. Lewis, another Brit, I'm relying on Brits here, uh, in the words of C.S. Lewis, is a cadre of omnipotent moral busybodies tormenting us for our own good. So that that's the concern that I have when we talk about um, the state helping. Uh, I don't think the state helps. I think it's coercive and it's going to involve penalizing people, rewarding people. And I want to know who has the expertise, who has the moral judgment to do that? Is it a, a congressional committee? Um, I think that's problematic to me. Well, All right. Well, I'm, I want to make, we got to get out of this thing. It is boring. I know. It is boring. So I don't know if we'll, maybe we won't watch the end of this. Uh, the last, now we can three minutes left we have to but let me make one really brief point obviously he's picking up on the fact that even when like uh jake said you know we have to incentivize that company to take a broader view he kind of smiled because it was like well yeah we're gonna like we're gonna make their products illegal like so yeah. go go learn to make something else which <laughs> which the the issue is like let's just be honest that that's what you want to do yeah and there might be times where that's called for yeah i mean if um, there's so if there's a corporation that is always and every time and they continue uh to pollute a you know a river in such a way that it's you know destroying the water table for a town or something i don't know what yeah. right and they just keep doing it well there might be a time that the government should go in and stop them <laughs> like right. actually stop them um yeah. condemn that that factory or whatever um, you can imagine that there are situations where that is actually a good thing and necessary, um, but it is true that we we don't we don't live in a, a time when the government is really um, slow to add more and more onerous regulations and difficulties right. and taxes and things like that on on companies that otherwise may be actually working to do good for other people. Right. I think again, right? Like I, because I can use other examples, right? I would be 
overjoyed if we just we regulated out of existence all adult entertainment stores in my state. I would be happy if we did the same thing for casinos and gambling in my state. Yep. And I understand that there are people and communities that would be negatively affected by those things. Um, and it might not even, and not even people who necessarily are at fault, but I'm okay with that. Yep. Right. So, so what I'm saying is, is there are at least examples. So, right. I don't want to deny that in a righteous uh, place where an, a civil magistrate is actually credibly rewarding the good and punishing the evil. This is not like there, there is a place for that. Secondly, I do think again, Brian's fear is not this crazy fear, right? Like, you know, like, you know, people like, don't be a conspiracy theorist. They'd never shut down the economy because of a projection they have that'll save the world. You know, they would never like, like stop you from using vehicles in a way that would save the world. The problem is, except we already did, like we've already learned the lesson that a group of experts told us there was a disease that was going to destroy the world on a projection based on the best evidence they had at the time. And they destroyed the world because it was the best result we could have. And it was something and the information we had about COVID was a lot more concrete, a lot more observable, like all of these, like it was. And direct and immediate. And it was not 40 years from now. It was, it was very immediate. And, and I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to toot my own horn because I, I don't have, I didn't have much to say, but like they were wrong about everything. And I don't know if I was right about anything, but they were wrong about almost everything they told everyone they had to do Hmm. and what would happen um, and what was best. And we destroyed the world for that. Yeah. And so the idea that it's, it's crazy that we would ever have a group of experts tormenting you for your own good. No, that is the, and that is the exact worst kind of villain to exist. That the, like, this is why the grand inquisitor during the Spanish inquisition is the scare, like is this truly scary villain that the more they torture you, the better they believe they are doing things for your soul. Yeah. That's 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 why it's actually a realistic fear. All right, let's power through. Well, what I appreciate about both of you is you you both want to steward the earth well. Neither of you comes across TGC. All of their <laughs> listeners there are want to steward the earth. Everybody side of your positions that you do not fit into. So I, I want to finish by just asking briefly: What do you think the lowest hanging fruit is in front of us? Something practical something <sighs> helpful as a next step in this conversation in this part of the world i will start with you brian yeah well thanks for asking that question because i think it's an important one i think that too often i sped uh, it up we are considering environmental issues uh we're too abstract we've, we've got the big headline problem right climate change uh, uh carbon emissions what are we going to do about that whereas i think that our resources can be better deployed on actually more more concrete and more local environmental issues and concerns I think it's pretty clear from our conversation today that I'm, I'm less optimistic that we can do much about the big headline global thing. Uh, but in local communities, in, in places like Florida, um, the, hard exp- the hard lessons of experience with the fisheries and with the Everglades and the sugarcane, as you, ma- as you, as you mentioned, um, those are precisely the kinds of experience that can then lead to uh, better stewardship, better regulations. Why? Because we have, we have experience, right? 
So G.K. Chesterton talks about the, the, the thickets and fences. Yeah, Chesterton. All the Brits are coming to my rescue here. <laughs> you know, but those fences come up through hard experience. And it, those experiences don't happen at an abstract global level. They happen at local levels. So I think that every, anywhere you live, there are environmental issues and concerns that I think uh, can be tackled far more effectively. That, that is the lowest hanging fruit because it's where we are and it's where we have experience and skin in the game. So that would be, I think, my, my perspective on it. What do you think, Jake? Um, it's so funny. I feel like we have a lot of the same sources we're working from and we go in opposite directions with them. Because when I think of Chesterton's fence, I think of that's a very good argument for not destroying all the prairies. But no, that's right. But, late, the fences, but the fences, the fences were not pre-made by a committee. Right? The fences sure. come through failure. They come mm -hmm. through, oh, wow, we ruined the prairie. Let's put up a fence, right? Right. right. It's a post-facto thing. Industrial scale makes for very big failures is part of my fear. Um, as far as what lowest hanging, lowest hanging fruit, the problem, I think, with carbon emissions is such that there's certain things that need to happen on a policy level, um, which most of us are not going to have access to to be able to be part of. So in terms Including of lowest hanging fruit for most folks... Um, <laughs> I would actually encourage everyone, there's a, a wonderful story um, in Plow, and I, I'm a contributing editor over there, so disclosure, I guess, um, called Beating the Big Dry. And it's about a community of Christians living in Southern Australia who, through basically trying to observe the way that Australian landscapes have traditionally been treated prior to the last 200 years, um, and adopt more traditional methods of caring for land, what they plant, where they plant it, they've seen their land transform. And so there's aerial pictures you can see with the story that show what it looked like in 2000 and what it looks like now. And it was brown and barren in 2000. And now, 20 years later, it's green. I think they, the amount of water flowing in at the creek at the top of their land versus coming out at the end, is they triple it from the time it passes through the land because um, they've understood the Australian landscape wants stuff that retains moisture. So we are going to plant plants and trees that will help the land retain moisture. And it's borne enormous fruit. And so I think in our own lives, I think finding ways to be attentive to where we live and how that land thrives and then trying, even if it's in a yard, um, to bring back some of that beauty is really important. Um, it's something I've not been able to do as much at our property as I'd like, um, but I have an old prof in college who actually left academia and he now runs a company that does landscaping with only native prairie stuff for Nebraska because that's what Nebraska ought to be. Um, and I think those kind of landscaping things we can all do with whatever property we have um, would be a wonderful place to start. But what that starts with then is looking and trying to understand the place where you are in the world. And we live in a very distracted moment. And so I think just that kind of looking is hard. Um, so being attentive to where God has put you in the world um, and being attentive, not just in the ways that we often are going about our day, but being attentive to the land and the plants and the animals that live there. Um, I love the stuff my parents have done at their property because they have lots of birds there all the time because of the choices they've made with how they've, what trees they've planted. and. Um, so I think just look and see, it's the name of a Wendell Berry um, biopic, um, look and see um, where God has put you and what you can do to make that place um, look more the way the, the landscape wants to look, I think. Hopefully that's not too abstract, but. Well, I appreciate it. Appreciate both of you. Do it. Obviously both care. Thank you for All right. <laughs> do so, it. We're done. We're done. Can we just say, well, let's say two things. They, and this is, this is I'm not going to pan anyone here at the end. Because I actually want everyone to listen when they said, well, what are the practical next steps? They both said basically the exact same thing. Yeah, actually they really the, helpful. The same things it, we've been saying this whole time. Here are things you can do. Um, yep, go do something. Yep. And now, again, is there, by the way, these landscaping companies, wow. Just so you know, if you want to do that to your yard, if you're here in the Midwest, 
I've heard some people give me the quotes on the costs on these things. Uh, I hope you're getting ready. I hope you have uh, like 30 grand laying around if you have a wow. decent sized yard. So hey, just you so can you know- just you can just go into a public park or the woods and just get some get some seeds that fall on the ground. Don't cut your grass all the time. Make it hospitable to actual animals, right? If you cut your grass constantly and keep it low, which you probably are required to by law in your city, if you're living in a city, um, you're at like you're actually making it inhospitable to a lot of bug life, which makes it less hospitable to a lot of birds, which makes it less hospitable, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So there's a lot of just tiny things that you can do without yep. even spending any more money, actually spending less money. Now, now let me just say, if you have that suburban dad energy like me, and there's almost nothing that gives you more joy than cutting your grass and lawn care. Let me, Pastor Michael and I have decided to try and do this just for the sake of laughs. So feel free to ignore us on this. Um, we did, we are creating a Patreon level called Plant More Trees Than TGC, <laughs> where if you join at $25 at the Patreon level, you can do it for one month. Or if you stay on, we'll, I guess we'll have to keep doing it. We will plant a tree on Pastor Michael's property in your honor to save the world. That's what we're doing. I can't promise we'll keep that tree alive. We'll try, we, but yeah. we've killed a lot of trees. We've killed it's, a lot of trees the, that we've planted. It is not easy to keep saplings alive. That is it another, is uh, uh, it's not a, uh, maybe maybe Chevron really knows how to do it, but it is not easy. If you, if you sign up the... monthly, we're going to send you pictures with updates from your tree. <laughs> That's right. If, I don't know if we'll if, really do that, but if you, so if we will try made... to set up this Patreon. We're going to do for that. sure. If you've made it to the end of this, then we'd love for you. <laughs> I guess, I mean, we'd love for you to Nobody's do Nobody's going to do this, by the way. They're going to be gonna like, that it. was the worst episode of Restless I know. that has ever happened. And they want us to do a <laughs> $25 a month Patreon. But it's for the bit, everybody. It's for the bit so that we can say that we've planted more trees than TGC. And I and I need and I just need people like me who are going to keep cutting their grass, keep edging their <laughs> sidewalks because it because when you I cut are, my grass, you are the company that just pays to offset their <laughs> That's emissions. Right. I am because because when let me just put this in another quote of a Brit, since that was where we had to leave everything. When I cut my grass, I feel God's pleasure. Oh, yes, I do, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Rate and review this show. Don't leave us any comments about how bad it was. Go comment on the the debate itself. Tell them, why did you do this? (laughs) You know what you put me through on my favorite podcast? We love you all. We will catch you next time.